This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is Colossians 2, 13 through 15. We're going to be talking a lot about debt today. So buckle in, guys. But guys, I just want to remind you of something because I was just having this conversation with a buddy of mine. There are guys out there that will find a great restaurant or they'll finish a really awesome book or they'll, they'll find a really awesome part for their truck or something like that. And then they won't share it with anybody. It's like the best kept secret and it just doesn't ever occur to them. Oh, someone else could get value out of this knowledge that I have. So guys, I say that to say that if you've not shared this show with a friend, please do so. That is how the show gets out to more people. I usually ask people, hey, how'd you find our show? And it's like, hey, I either saw you on this show or hey, my friend told me about it and turned me on to it. I've been listening to six months. It's something like that. So guys, if there are two, three guys out there that you don't think know about this show, make sure you get this content out to them. Make sure that we can keep spreading the love and spreading the value around. And also just a reminder, we are almost 100% listeners supported. So those of you that have hopped on board already, thank you so, so much for becoming donors to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. If you like this content, if you want to see more content, you would not believe what we got coming up for 2023. I'm so excited about it, but everything costs money. So we have a donation page on our website, undaunted.life backslash donate. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to be saying this every week before it, uh, or until it happens rather, but I do have a live speaking engagement that is free to the public. So Sunday, September the 18th at 6 PM at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. I already you know some of you guys are going to be driving into Edmond that evening just to go to that. I'm going to be live presenting defeating pro-abortion arguments. So that's where we're going to spend an hour together and we're going to be digging deep on like 18, 19 different pro-abortion arguments and how you can defeat those things. It's going to be a great time for you guys. It's going to be a lot of valuable, valuable information again Sunday, September the 18th at 6 p.m. at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. There is a link in the show notes that if you are coming and bringing your children, we want your kids there. They will not be there inside the event. Uh, but we want to know how many people are going to be there so we can know how many volunteers are needed for children. But I will tell you, I know some people that have 13, 14, 15 year olds that are going to have their kids in the presentation with them. Okay. So this probably isn't super appropriate for kids that are probably in elementary school, but middle school, high school, I'll leave that up to your discretion, but this is going to be something that would be good for all of them to hear. Also, just want to remind you as of last week, we are now ambassadors of origin. So guys go to originmain.com. And if you use the promo code, Kyle, you will get 10% off your orders, whether you're ordering geese or rash guards or boots or jeans on the origin side or you know protein or greens or creole oil or vitamin d or energy drinks or whatever on the jocko fuel side just go to originmain.com you can use the promo code kyle for 10 percent off and now before we get into anything else i've been absolutely blown up about matt chandler today so i'm recording this on monday and so you guys are hearing this in your ear holes probably on Wednesday. But if you haven't heard by now, Matt Chandler, who, again, we've talked about on this podcast over and over and over and over again, huge fan of Matt Chandler, huge fan of his books, of his sermons, all those different things. Apparently, he's embroiled in some sort of a controversy right now. And I wanted to address this because I knew for a lot of you, I mean, my phone has been blowing up this morning, literally since the moment that I woke up, people ask me, hey, what do you think about this Matt Chandler thing? What do you think about this Matt Chandler thing? But for the most part, I'm not really going to give my full comments on this because we don't really know that much seemingly. 
So to, to summarize what I've what I've gathered uh, from from the news and different uh, things that are being reported, you know, at different websites or whatever, is apparently Matt Chandler, the pastor, was DMing with a woman. Um, and it, again, I guess a DM, that is a private message. But the thing, there's so much about this that doesn't make any sense, is we're being told that the DMs were not sexual or inappropriate. And we're being told that both of the spouses, right? So Matt Chandler's wife and this gal's husband, both knew these messages were going back and forth. and yet. Yesterday from the pulpit, Matt Chandler stood up there and basically said because of these messages and because of this, that it revealed an unhealth in him. And I have no idea what that word means. Typically, people just use the word sin. And so, again, it's a very odd situation. And most people have picked up on that by now. This just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like if everything he was doing was on the up and up, then why didn't he and the elder board just go basically tell people to pound sand? Like apparently there was another person involved that got offended for somebody else. And there was some sort of weird calculus going on that nobody can, you know, truly define for us. So that that's all I have to say on this for right now. I'm a fan of Matt Chandler. I've seen nothing in any of these reports that would make me not be a fan of Matt Chandler. Um, I hope that he doesn't just get castigated and categorized as just another evangelical that sinned sexually or that fell from grace or that, oh, he's the next, you know, whatever, you know, this guy that fell or that guy that fell. Hopefully that's not what's going to happen. But I hope it's also not a leadership misstep by his elder board to overreact to something that wasn't actually there to force your senior pastor to take a leave of absence when nothing went wrong. So I say all that to say that, again, we don't know enough about it. I'm not going to talk about it more until we know more. We may never know more. But just to kind of put a bow on this, I would say this, and I think I've said this about Matt Chandler before because I talked about how I love Matt Chandler and I like Vody Bacham and I love, you know, John MacArthur and all these different guys like it wouldn't surprise me if any of those guys did something very, very depraved. It wouldn't. Like if they cheated on their spouse or if they, you know, used to you know, murder people or they used to, like, I get, just think of the thing that you think is bad. It would not surprise me with anybody because everybody does bad stuff. It's the level of depravity that's different. And it's your knowledge of that depravity that might be a little bit different. So guys, don't idolize people especially pastors. And I've got some pastors that I know, listen to this, that I love. I love these people. I love what they do. I love their sermons. I love their friendship. And I love the value that they provide, you know, even just specifically to me. But I shouldn't be surprised if they fall and they shouldn't be surprised if I fall because we're fallen creatures. Now we should call each other to a higher standard and all these uh, other different areas. But again, um, if you're cheering today because Matt Chandler fell from grace, you're a douche and you're a terrible person and that's sinful, right? I don't think you should be doing that. But also if you're only coming to his defense and saying, regardless of what anyone knows, he's my man, I love his stuff and I'm going to defend him wholeheartedly. I think that's pretty stupid as well. So let's just try to be sober-minded about this and let's all just realize that we simply do not know what's going on in this situation. But all we know is it stinks to high heaven and the, the you know, Basically, the, the line we're getting from him and the line we're getting from the church doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. So, big sip of water. Guys, we're already like seven minutes in here, and I haven't even got to announcing what the quick hitters are. But what we're going to be talking about today is going to maybe take us quite a bit of time. So I don't even know if I'm going to get to these quick hitters by the end of this. I may leave it for next week or a little bit later this week or something like that. But if we do have time, in the quick hitter segment, we're going to discuss Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook telling Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan experience that the FBI instructed him to throttle the Hunter Biden laptop bombshell prior to the 2020 election. A woke pastor in Australia saying churches should, quote, create space for gender-inclusive bathrooms, unquote. Also, the greatest doctor in the history of medicine, obviously Dr. Fauci, announcing he's retiring at the end of the year, and a K-12 school in my own backyard has hired a pro-CRT DEI 
firm to train its teachers. So CRT means critical race theory and DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. But obviously we need to spend the overwhelming majority of our time today talking about what Joe Biden announced last week, which was the cancellation or forgiveness of student loan debts. And so let me go ahead and read this from CNBC. President Joe Biden announced last Wednesday that he will forgive $10,000 in federal student debt for most borrowers, fulfilling a campaign pledge and delivering financial relief to millions of Americans. Imagine, like, just remember, delivering financial relief. So again, it's CNBC, so here we go. Biden will cancel up to 20000 for recipients of Pell Grants. And then this is a quote here. Both of these targeted actions are for families who need it the most, the president said in remarks at the White House Wednesday afternoon. The relief will be limited to Americans earning under 125000 per year or a quarter of a million dollars for married couples or heads of household. The relief is also capped at the amount of the borrower's outstanding eligible debt per the Education Department. The president will also extend the payment pause on federal or most federal student loans one final time through December of 2022. So skipping down a little bit here, Biden's decision to move ahead with $10,000 in student loan debt cancellation for borrowers who earn under $125,000 per year will cost the federal government around $244 billion, according to higher education expert Mark Kentrowitz. So little aside here from the CNBC article, according to Penn Wharton in their budget model, which, you know, again, you know, who knows how close this is going to be. This is going to end up costing Americans between 300 billion and 980 billion over the next 10 years. So not the 244 that's being, you know, reported by CNBC, but somewhere between 300 billion and 980 billion with a B dollars in the next 10 years. So back to CNBC here. The $20,000 in relief for Pell Grant recipients may add around $120 billion to the government's costs. The unprecedented action by the White House of wiping out hundreds of billions of dollars in consumer debt follows years of advocacy pressure and recent months of heated debate among Biden administration officials. Those discussions centered on how student loan forgiveness might impact the high inflation hitting Americans' wallets, the amount of student debt that should be canceled, and if the president even had the power to reduce people's balances without the legislative branch. So there's a lot to unpack there. And most other pundits and other people in other news shows, they're unpacking all the details of this. We don't even know what all this is going to look like. But just to kind of, before we dig in, I know that some of the numbers can get really complicated and, you know, how much is this person getting versus how much, you know, that person's getting and let's make it really, really simple. Like guys, let's make it simple here. A single college graduate. Okay. So just have this person in your mind, a single college graduate making six figures. Okay. Living in their preferred city going out as much as they'd like, driving the car they want to drive, going to music festivals, living it up, and having no problem paying all of their bills. They're going to have part of or all of their student loans paid off by a combined population that is likely making a fraction of what this person is making. And those people will be getting no relief of any of their debts that they have. That's the scenario we're looking at. Because people are pretending like $125,000 a year is not that much money. There are a lot of people in my audience and any audience that would love something even near that amount and could do tremendous things for them and their family. But those are the people that are being targeted here. So right from the jump, before we really, really dig into the analysis of all this, is I have to admit that I don't actually think that this will happen. Okay? At least not right now. So surely this is going to be challenged in court. This seems deeply unconstitutional. I'm pretty certain, and a lot of people are pretty certain, that the Biden administration and Joe Biden individually don't actually have the authority to, to do this unilaterally. It seems like Congress would need to be involved. Uh, there's no idea, I have no idea why this doesn't ram 
through why they wouldn't just ram this through Congress right now because he likely has the votes in, in both, you know, the House and the Senate. So I don't know why they're not just doing it that way. Uh, also, this is just so clearly and blatantly a ploy for more votes in the midterm elections. You know, trying to bump up his approval rating as gas starts to, you know, little, little by little come down. And then by November, getting all the people get the warm fuzzies to go out and vote. So so there's that. But we need to break this down as if it will happen. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm dubious whether it'll actually happen, but let's break it down as if it were to happen. So I want to do a little sidebar uh, before we break down what the news means, because we're going to break it down in a couple interesting ways. We need to talk about higher education in general. Okay. Now, I'm saying this as somebody with a master's degree. I got my master's in business administration, graduated top of my class, and in undergrad, I got an undergraduate degree in corporate communication with a minor in leadership, again, graduating top of my class. So I was a higher ed guy. I used to work in higher education. I worked in the, the president's office of a university, and you know, like the, the whole nine yards. So like, I'm very familiar with that world. But the overwhelming majority of people that get college degrees will end up getting jobs that have nothing to do with that degree, okay? And I was one of those people right? Because communication is kind of a broad degree and business kind of broad degree. But I certainly have worked jobs over the last, you know, uh, 15 years or so that had nothing to do with my degree. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people will get a degree in something that leads to a job that they don't want to do. So they end up doing something else. They get a degree in something that doesn't, you know, aid them in getting the job that they do want to do. Right. So they got this degree, but they need that degree, you know, and then they've got this dissonance and some people just suck and, and no one wants to hire them. So it doesn't matter what degree you get. You're just an awful worker. You're bad at interviews. Like, you know, there's any number of reasons. But again, the overwhelming uh, majority of people that get these college degrees don't end up going and working in jobs in those fields. Because the reality is, is what college should be is it should be something you should need to do if you need a credential. OK, so. You need credentialing, literal credentialing. If you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, a chemist, you know, fill in the blank, pharmacist, you know, on and on and on. You need legitimate credentials in order to do those things. But for all the other degrees, you don't really need that. And also, no one should be going to college to quote unquote find themselves. I mean, how many times did you, do you hear that where someone's just a listless, you know, 18 or 19 year old, and then they go to college to try to discover who they're going to be in the world, Right while they're paying someone tens of thousands of dollars for the privilege of teaching them stuff from textbooks that were written five years ago, which makes them four years too old. Okay. Also look at how many, you know, people like, again, we talk about these people that have, you know, these jobs that have nothing to do with their degree. Even look at, you know, homemakers, look at staying at home moms that have undergraduate or even I know stay at home moms that have graduate degrees. I mean, and for the most part, that's a complete waste. Because they never thought forward in their life. They always thought they were going to be, you know, in their power suit in the corner office. And now here they are raising two, three, four kids or, or something like that. And by no means am I talking down on those people. Like to, to a certain degree, they're, they're doing some of the most core work to our foundations of, as a society. But think of all that time and money and, and just brain space wasted on something that they're never going to use in the home. And there's so many people that are like that. And here's the other thing. In 2022, for the most part, guys. You don't need a college degree to get an education because the point should be education, not credentialing. Again, no one has ever looked at my diploma or my transcript or my GPA and been like, wow, 4.0 in your MBA program, huh? No one's done that. They're worried about whether or not I can think, lead, and problem solve, right? Which takes education to undergird those things. That's the scaffolding under which you can do those things. But here's the thing. How much of the stuff that you guys learn, just ask yourself this, how much of the stuff that you learned in college was obsolete knowledge by the time you graduated. Especially if you're in like the STEM fields or some sort of like, you know, really kind of, you know, tough thing that you need to do. How much of that stuff even still applied by the time you graduated? 
And my boy Chad Prather pointed this out last week. He made the comment, uh, but you can you can obviously get a degree without getting an education. And in the opposite, you can get an education without getting a degree. But it seems somewhat rare that people get both of those things. I mean, I already told you, like, I graduated top of my class, but there were classes that I got A's in because I was good at, you know, cracking the code of the syllabus and turning papers in early so that I could rewrite the, you know, the things that weren't up to snuff. And like, I was able to crack the code of a semester in and of a syllabus, but I, I didn't learn anything in these classes. I didn't retain any of this information. I'm pretty good at memorizing things and then, you know, spouting it out the next day and then just farting it out and moving on to the next thing. So Imagine the people that get an education without getting a degree, but then they can't get a job, which kind of leads me to this businesses, businesses all over the country, really all over the world are culpable in all of this because they lazily require degrees in order for people to apply to work there. I've worked at places like that before. They would not consider people that didn't have a degree. They use it kind of as a lazy sorting system. And I think that these businesses should do away with their requirements to have a bachelor's degree because they're going to have to start with scratch to train these employees anyways. Like, have you ever heard of a business that hired people, they required them to have bachelor's degrees, or maybe they didn't require, this is a better example, they didn't require them to have a degree of any kind, but they hired two people for, for the same job. One person didn't have a, a bachelor's degree, the other one did have a bachelor's degree. Did they start their trainings in different places? Like, okay, hey, high school diploma guy, you're going to start down here. You're going to need about two more weeks of training because you're such an idiot or that, you know, you didn't go to the fancy school for that long length of time. But hey, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Bachelor's degree, you're going to start in the advanced training. Has you, have you ever heard of something like that? No, you certainly haven't because everybody starts on the same level because they haven't done that job before. Because again, these college programs, they're not pumping out people that know how to do the exact job for that exact company. You have to train them anyway. So these businesses that are holding on to, yeah, you got to have a college degree. It's like, for what reason? For what purpose? They're a dime a dozen now. And also parents are culpable in all of this because they're encouraging their children to go to college without the, the kid even having the foggiest idea what they're going to study or what they want to do with their lives. And partially it's because they want their kids to keep up. All the other kids in their class got scholarships or they're going to the big state school or they're going to out of state or going whatever. And if you're the parent when asked, hey, where's your kid going to college next year? If you say, yeah, they're going to take a year off to figure out what they really want to do. They may never even go to college. It doesn't have the same ring to it. And so parents just blindly say, yeah, we'll sign up for this debt or we'll pay for this or we'll make our kid take out loans for something that uh, is not even that valuable to them. And it maybe even not is the right, isn't the right fit for them. Maybe they should go and shadow someone for a year. Maybe they should, you know, become an apprentice. Maybe they should go to trade school. Maybe there's a, a start a business. There's a, all these other options aside from just, oh, I guess I'll go to college. And also, we are delaying people growing up. College is a, is a great way for people to delay the maturity process, okay? And here's the other thing. How many people do you know that actually finished college in four years? I mean, how many people? Like most people nowadays seem to have to go an extra semester or some of the people an extra year or two because they changed their major two or three times in order to finish, right? And the reason why most people are getting graduate degrees now, this is what we see in the data, is because so many people have bachelor's degrees that a bachelor's degree is the new high school diploma and a graduate degree is the new bachelor's degree. Like that, that's a really tough spot for a lot of people to be in. So that's, I guess, my, my sidebar on higher education. But to, to get into more of a discussion about what we were talking about in terms of the student loan forgiveness, as it's called, I was thinking through this for the last week or so as I was collecting my thoughts and I thought, okay, there's really two ways to break this down. Okay. There's politically and then there's spiritually. 
And I think some of you already know where I'm going to go on that side. But most of our focus will be on the political side. But there is a tremendous spiritual element of this that I find to be just absolutely rich. But just hang with me and we'll get there. But we need to talk about the political side first. And there's really lots to, to go over here. But let's start here. There are lots of people saying that the loans are not being transferred but they are being legitimately forgiven. There are people that just, they literally are just like, guys, the loans are being forgiven. What are you, what are you freaking out about? They're just going away. Okay. Like that the people that own the loans are forgiving them. This is a big deal. This is great. But that is such a stupid point and people just don't realize it. And it's because like the federal government is quote unquote paying off the loans according to these people. But you have to ask these people, where do you think the federal government gets their money? The federal government doesn't create a product. Well, actually, the one product they do technically create, the United States Postal Service, has never made money for the most part. They're operating in the, in the red almost every single year. Okay? So where do you think the Fed gets their money? They get it from taxpayers. So no, just from a factual point, these loans are not disappearing by any stretch of the imagination. The loan debt amounts are being transferred to a different party. And just to make sure you understand them, because we're going to spend a lot more time breaking that down, but just to make sure that you understand the magnitude of this, this is the largest unilateral spending initiative by a president in the history of the country. You can look at any president during wartime, during times where they're trying to, you know, build up their, you know, their, uh, I guess, leftists or communists, you know, bona fides. Like it, there's, this is the biggest unilateral spending initiative that we've ever seen. So if you thought Barack Obama spent money, if you thought George W. Bush spent money, if you thought Trump spent money, whoa, buddy, like this, this is next level. So we just need to understand that. But in addition to that, this is perhaps the largest transfer of wealth in the history of the United States as well. Essentially, it's working class Americans, you know, like most of you listening to this right now, that are going to be paying off the debts of people that are wealthier than they are. Have you heard people say it that way? Because that's the real way that you should look at this. I mean, because the reality is, is that this is a tax on poorer people to the redounding benefit of richer people. And the reason is, is because over 50%, I think the actual number is like 56%, but over 50% of student loan debt that's currently outstanding in the United States was taken out for people to get graduate degrees. Not bachelor's, graduate degrees. So. These people got a useless bachelor's degree and then decided to double down on higher education and get a useless master's degree and or doctorate. They went all the way to the PhD level. And now me and all of you have to pay for it. That's why I say it's the largest wealth transfer in history, because people that decided not to do that are going to be paying for it. Because the reality is, is around 13% of Americans have student loan debt. but the government and the Biden administration's grand idea is that 100% of Americans that pay taxes will pay those 13% of Americans' debts off. I mean, just think about that. 87% of Americans don't have student loan debt, but 100% of American taxpayers are going to be paying off the debt. How in the world does that make sense? Okay. And I know a lot of you guys have thought through this and you felt this. I certainly have as well. But this is the ultimate slap in the face to dutiful, hardworking, responsible Americans that either never went to college and, and got a job or started a business, that went to college but got scholarships, 
that went to college but paid for it themselves. You know, they, they went to college and worked the whole way through to pay for it themselves that went to college and then worked a plan after graduating to pay off their loans, you know, et cetera, and so on and so forth. This is the ultimate slap in the face of those people. It's like, hey, idiots, you did the right thing, but we're going to pay off all these other people that for in doing large part aren't doing the right thing. Because all these people, they're like, oh, I'm being crushed by my student loan debt is terrible. But it's just like that scenario I brought you earlier. These people are getting the brand new iPhone. They have five or six different streaming services that they're subscribed to. They go out to eat four or five nights a week. They're going to festivals. They're traveling. They're driving the, their chosen dream car, all those different things. But they can't pay off their student loans. They need our help. They need Joe Biden's help. But as I was thinking through this, and this is kind of a, a you know morbid, macabre thing to think through, but I haven't really heard anyone else say it, is what about the vets that paid for their tuition by serving in the military? You know, like the GI Bill. Think about the people that died in the Middle East in these last 20 years of, of the wars that we've been fighting, because one of the reasons why they did that was because, hey, if I serve, I can get my college paid for. Think about those people. Would all of them have continued on and, and served in our military if they thought that they could get their student loan debts paid in another way? And, and here's also my message just overall, because I know a lot of you listening to this, you are responsible and smart and beautiful, and you worked your butts off, you know, while in school or afterwards to make sure that you didn't take on any debt or that you could cover that debt. I do have a message for all of you. You all did the right thing. Joe Biden is trying to buy votes and do things in this way. Um, and that should not change the morality of what you did and what you accomplished. I say bravo. If you graduated from school without debt because you busted your butt, I say bravo. If, if you busted your butt afterwards and you came up with a plan and, you know, with gazelle-like intensity, you paid off that debt, bravo. You did the right thing. You did the right and righteous thing. Because I've talked to a lot of people, because like for me, I had a pretty good scholarship to go to school, but I still had some loose ends. By my junior and senior year of college, I was stacking scholarships on top of scholarships to where I was actually making money to go to school. Okay. I was actually getting money from the bursar's office as opposed to having to drop off a check. Okay. And I know other people that grinded in that way too. That doesn't make me special. It's just like, hey, the system was out there and I'm like, I'm going to do this because I don't want to be in debt. And we managed to make that work. And so did my wife. Right. And we graduated without student loan debt. but. That, but we're not suckers today. I certainly don't feel like a sucker, but I can understand why some of you would. But this, this, all, this whole thing that the Biden administration is doing, it does nothing to address the underlying issue because there is a major underlying issue here. And it's that the federal government caused this issue to begin with by guaranteeing student loans and then sitting by as every single public university in the country continued to raise their tuition rates. Right? Because the federal government said, okay, anybody that applies for this loan is going to get it. We'll subsidize it. But if you know anything, you don't need to be an economist to know this, but if you know anything about basic economics, you understand that what, you know, what happens when you subsidize something, you know, when the government subsidizes something, then the producer of that something is under no compunction to not raise their prices. Uh, they, they would actually be really, really stupid to not raise their prices because of the subsidy. And so when we see these universities over the past several decades, raising their tuition rates at like four or five times the, the rate of normal inflation, not Biden inflation, but normal inflation. And the government's just like, yeah, no biggie. And so you have these universities that are cranking out these people that are not ready for the workforce. They're not ready for the job that they're taking. 
they're you know so bad at their prospects in terms of getting a job that they have to go and get a master's degree doubling down on stupid in order to go and get this fictitious job that they think they're going to get right out of school making six figures in the corner office just because they you know were, were great at their undergraduate program in rural florida or something like that and it's just not reality but the universities are being paid off in all of this these universities are part of the problem as they've grown their internal bureaucracies at these universities, adding useless uh, departments like the ones I talked about last week, all these, you know, diversity departments and all these random departments under departments with department heads and all these different whatevers, you know, sub vice presidents and, you know, directors of this and that and heads of this and that. They've expanded that within their universities because they've gotten this influx of money and then they turn around and go, oh, my pockets are out. Look how bad things are going here. I've got my hat in my hand. Can you please give me some more money? Like, give me a break. It's ridiculous. But a big question in all this is why, and I'm sure some of you have thought about this, why does the American taxpayer have to bail out these universities to begin with, but specifically the universities that have these mega endowments? So as you've heard reported somewhere, I'm sure in the last week, Harvard is sitting on an endowment that is over $50 billion worth. Yale has one that's over $30 billion. Stanford has one that's close to $30 billion. Princeton has one that's around $25 billion. And these people aren't paying taxes on these endowments. They're operating like hedge funds. And yet the American taxpayer has to turn around and pay off all these debts. Like literally a percentage of my tax dollar is going to go to pay off the degree for somebody that got a, uh, the, the student debt of somebody that got a degree from Harvard. Maybe they're two years out of college and they haven't quite gotten that next big raise. They're making $124,000 per year. And I'm going to pay off that person's debt. Like. It's astonishing. It's, it's deeply, deeply unfair. It's also very rich for Joe Biden and his administration to use COVID, to use the pandemic as their legal basis for the student loan forgiveness. So I'm not going to really uh, dig down into the legal case because that's not really my area, but that's what they're doing. They're basically using these different emergencies, um, you know, things inside the law to say, hey, it's because of the pandemic. We've got to do this thing. That's how they're going to argue it in court anyway, because according to them, the pandemic is over enough to where the elderly president, Joe Biden, can be out and about without a mask on and our southern border can be wide open for, for people from all over the world to come streaming through in the United States. So the pandemic is over enough for all that. But we're still in such a, an emergency point with COVID that we have to get rid of student loans. That's what they're telling us. Does anybody really believe that, though? Even people that like the fact that their student loans are going to get wiped out. Do you think they actually believe that? They're sitting there with double masked at home alone with their cat and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, man, this is great. This is going to really get me out of my COVID fog. And a few things on that. Most of the student loan debt that is going to be forgiven if this goes through, like in almost, it was almost every single bit of that was taken out pre-COVID. Again, COVID hasn't been a thing for all of our lives just the last couple of years, right? All that student loan debt was taken out before then. Also. The people that were allowed to work during COVID, if you'll remember, were typically the white collar job people. Okay. It wasn't the blue collar workers and we love and respect those workers. We're not, we're not saying they're different. We're not showing any partiality, but the white collar workers were told that their work was essential, but the blue collar workers, many of them were told that their jobs in factories or on construction sites or, or whatever in other industries, that their job was not essential, that we can just shut you down as if it makes no big deal. That's what the government said we could do. And so again, those same blue collar workers are going to be paying taxes to help pay off the student loan debts 
of the white collar workers that never had a disruption to their income. Think about that. That's a tough one, but think about it. And this really leads into the next thing, which is I love that a lot of people are talking about, about PPP loans and posting the names of Republicans that are in, you know, national office that own businesses that took out PPP loans and they're comparing it to this situation. Okay. These two situations cannot be any more different. Okay. What the government did with the PPP loans, or really they did those to begin with because they literally told you that your business was not essential. Okay. And that you would not be able to work nor provide work for any of your employees. That's what the government told you. They shut your business down. Need you be, need to be reminded of that. They have to give you something in return for that. The government can't just shut your business down and then say, best of luck. Because if they had done that, there would have been war. If they told every business, every mom and pop shop, except for the ones that they like, you can't do business, but we're not going to give you anything back for it. There would have been massive. It would have been protests. It would have been war. Okay. But here's the thing. Student loans are a voluntary exchange between a borrower and a lender in order to pay for higher education. How in the world is that the same for these business owners that are trying to keep people employed to keep payroll going, the government telling them you can't run your business, but hey, we'll go ahead and, and, and provide this to you so that you can keep things up and running so that you don't lose your hat. These, these situations are not the least bit the same. And I love that they're pointing out all these prob- you know, prominent Republicans that are doing it because it's like, you don't think Democrats are also running businesses? Do you think they are also uh, benefiting from things like those programs? And think about it, you know, the people that took out the PPP loans, you know, for the people that actually started businesses and were creating wealth and employing people and taking care of families. Those are the people that took these loans out to begin with. A lot of these student loan folks are people that took out loans to get useless degrees and then they decided somewhere along the way that they didn't want to pay them back. Like, please let me know that you see the massive difference in these two parties. Like the PPP loan, and, a lot, and I know there was some fraud in the PPP system. There were people that bought Ferraris and boats and all these different things. Like, I get it. But there were so many companies out there that without the PPP loans, they would not be in business today. And you're not just losing your business. You're losing the jobs of all of your employees, and you're affecting their entire family's ability to be financially stable. So it's a big deal. Also, I know that a lot of people on both sides of the issue, actually, people that love this, people that hate it, and everyone in between, they're expressing the sentiment that we should have empathy for young people that were duped into taking these loans out, okay? And in the last week or so, to be honest, I've struggled with that. I've, I've kind of gone back and forth about feeling empathetic and not feeling empathetic and blah, blah, blah. And after giving it quite a bit of thought, I'm not so sure that we should have empathy for the people that took out these loans. I'm really not. Because people are describing, uh, you know, the process of people taking out these loans is like, oh, it was it was a predatory process, right? Like they were they were targeted, and you know, it's these predators that went out there and basically forced them to sign on the dotted line. They had no choice, right? And maybe there's some truth to that. But the fact is, that is it was, it was adults that were taking out these loans. These were 18, 19, 20 year olds. Some people in their mid twenties as they're going on and, and moving on their higher education. These were adults that took out these loans. It wasn't 12 year olds. And I guess you have to ask yourself is at what point are we to say that it's their fault for taking out the loans and then using the funds for a crappy degree? Like at what point are we allowed to say that? I know that seems really mean. doesn't seem terribly empathetic, but, but, but honestly, like, when can you say that? Cause there's gotta be a line somewhere there. There absolutely has to. 
But I do find it interesting that Democrats, <laughs> they, they, they don't think that an 18-year-old is smart enough or developed enough to choose whether or not to take out a student loan. Okay, that, that's the argument they're making. Is, oh, it's predatory. They didn't have any options. But this is the same party that thinks a seven-year-old can choose their gender, that, that a 15-year-old girl can choose to have both of her healthy breasts removed. So apparently they're old enough and developed enough to make those decisions, but not to sign on the dotted line for a loan. But ultimately on the empathy thing, I think it's okay for you to feel a tremendous amount of empathy for, for somebody. And again, I'm not a terribly naturally empathetic person, but I know a lot of you guys are. A lot of you gals listening to this are, and that's fine. But you can be empathetic towards these people and then still maintain that they have to pay the price for their dumb decisions. Hey man, think about it in any other way. You get, you get too much house. You get a lender to give you a mortgage on a house that's way beyond you. You can feel bad for the person that signed on the dotted line for that 30-year mortgage for a house that they can't really pay for, but it's their debt to pay, not yours. Someone gets a car that's way too much car for them. You know, they got the souped up thing and they did all this whole thing and now they're having money troubles and they realize that that, that car's worth half the value it was six months ago. Like you can feel bad for them and not pay their debt for them. So you can have both of those things all at once. But as we continue the discussion on this, we need to be clear about something. This is almost certainly a bribe for you to vote for Democrats in the midterm elections. I've already said that, but it's not only that. This is another attempt by leftists in the government to take complete control of a segment of the population and make them beholden to daddy government. Okay. Again, this is a wealth transfer from non-elitist to elitist, right? It is just like what happened during the COVID lockdowns when all of these mom and pop shops and restaurants actually did go out of business. Even the PPP loans couldn't save them. They went completely out of business while all of the big box stores and fast food chains and these national brands multiplied their profits. So when you're doing something like this, it's because you want people to be dependent on you. You know, you hear people make that argument when talking about people like in, in the black community, how there's, uh, you know, all this reliance on, on welfare and the government. And I don't mean because of that. I mean, because you get people on these programs and then they spend decades and decades in programs like this, anybody that's in those programs, and then they want to depend on daddy government, right? They don't want to depend on daddy of their children or the church or any of those things. So you've heard people make those arguments before that once somebody gets on the government teat, they don't want to come off of it. And how can you ensure that the government stays powerful? And that the, the, you know, the minions will still vote for somebody that's maybe doing things that are not in their best interests. Continue, you know, suckling from the teat, continuing to allow that. You've heard people talk about that before. But we need to be clear about something else with all this. Is if they're able to ram this through, which again, I'm not sure that they can, but if they're able to do this, this will simply be the first of many bribes, just like it. Many, 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 many bribes. Okay. We have to ask ourselves, which debt will Democrats focus on next? How about the rest of student loans? You know, $10,000, like that's, that's just a start. What, I mean, what about the mortgages for people that think like they do, that vote like they do? Are they going to try to cancel those out? And what about the trillions of dollars of credit card debt that currently exists in the United States? Like which debt is going to be next? Because if we're just going to start canceling debt because money's not an actual real thing tied to any actual real value, why not keep that going? I mean, guys, there are already people saying that $10,000 is not nearly enough. I can't remember who, who posted this on Twitter, but it was absolutely astonishing. I thought it came from, you know, the onion or the Babylon Bee or something like that, but they are claiming that $10,000 is a dog whistle to white people 
because white people tend to have per capita less student loan debt in total than people of color. Yes, I'm serious. They're like, you know, the average white person has $12,000 worth of student loan debt, but the average black person has, you know, 18,000 or 25,000 or something like that. So this is a dog whistle somehow from the whitest administration maybe ever, right? I'm kind of being funny because they, they obviously will hire people just because they don't look like white people, but whatever. But you see where this goes. You see where this is going, guys. There's no end to this nanny state nonsense. There simply isn't. And there's another nefarious thing with all this. It's that the only loans that this policy will cover, this is so, this is so bad and no one's really talking about it. The only loan, the only, you know, loans that this policy will cover from the Fed are the federally backed loans, not private loans. You know, private loans obviously have a much higher rate of being paid back because typically you have to prove something before you can get that private loan. The federal loans do not have that, but the only ones that are going to be relieved are the federal loans. And there are a lot more nefarious things about all this. One of them is that these student loans benefited the higher education institutions way, 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 way more than they did the students that were actually taking out the loans. And also by the federal government guaranteeing funds to these universities, which we've already talked about via these grants or scholarships or loan programs or whatever, they have been able to crack down on what these universities teach, the policies they put in place, which almost always bend towards the left. So again, when people talk about how, you know, conservatives were asleep at the wheel for all these years, letting, you know, leftists completely control higher education and K through 12 education and completely control entertainment and completely control all these other different pockets of life. We're seeing some of the, some of the negatives of that playing out right now before our eyes. And just as a, as a thought experiment, think about how much better of a place our country would be right now. If every kid that applied for a student loan in order to go to college had to put together a business plan of sorts in order to get the funding. Had to sit across the table from somebody in a suit and a tie and say, here's my plan. Here's what I plan to do over the next four years. Here's the school I plan to go to. Here's the track I plan to follow. Here's the minors I plan to do. Here are the student organizations I plan to start or be a part of. Or here's the sports I plan to play. Here's how I'm going to cover some of it. Here's how you're going to cover some of it. I mean, think about if these students had to constantly meet minimum standards in order to keep the money flowing. How much of a better place would we be right now? Because you're probably not going to be able to get funding for your lesbian dance theory degree program. You're probably not going to do, you know, uh, pseudo European philosophy or like just make up some random bullcrap degree. Those things don't matter once you get to the marketplace. They're not valuable unless you create your own ecosystem, which some of these people are doing. But if you had to sit across the table and pitch it to somebody, you're probably not going to go that route. And if they said, hey, we're not going to give you this money uh, to go to a university to do this program because we don't think it's a good fit for you. We actually think you'd be uh, potentially a good welder, be a good plumber, be a good electrician, something like that. Imagine if those things happened. I bet we wouldn't have a shortage of all those other jobs I just mentioned. And, and the last thing here on the political side, dude, I mean, there's way more things we can talk about, but we're already running a little bit long on this one particular subject. But on, to wrap up the political side is as with most ridiculous left-wing ideas, like, oh, we're going to cancel student loan debt. Remember how ridiculous that sounded like three, four years ago? It always starts out on the fringes of the party, but then it quickly becomes mainstream. And the, the crazy thing now is that these crazy ideas become mainstream ideas so quickly. Because again, we talk about the Overton window. The Overton window used to shift very slowly and very subtly. Now it's just like clinging around, like just like, you know, like you're throwing it down a flight of stairs, right? It's just all over the place because again, 
This was a crazy idea just a few years ago. Bernie Sanders was the only prominent person saying something like this. And that was something that Republicans are going to point out and be like, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Look at that loser talking about student loan forgiveness. Oh, what are we going to do? Just wave a magic wand and, you know, cancel $10,000 worth of student loan debt for people making six figures per year and everybody else in between. Yeah, that's crazy. Here we are. Here we are. It is crazy, but we just have to wait and see if it's actually going to go through. So now we need to get the spiritual side uh, because we just spent a lot of time breaking it down politically, but there's a, a fairly interesting spiritual component to all this. Because as many of you have noticed, there have been a lot of people, like an unbelievable number of people claiming that student loan forgiveness and eternal damnation because of sin forgiveness are the same thing. I remember last week, probably early Wednesday, maybe early Thursday, all this is coming out. And I thought there's probably going to be just some dumb people that are going to get after, you know, conservatives or Christians or whatever for saying that we shouldn't just wipe out student loan debt. That's probably going to happen. You know what? Probably not. And then like the next time I went on Twitter, it was like, it was like a machine gun of idiots, like all basically saying the same thing. Okay. So there were a number of people, uh, you know, a lot of people on the political left, atheists, agnostics, even woke Christians, they were making theological arguments all of a sudden, theological arguments saying that if you are a Christian, if you are honest to goodness a Christian, that you should wholeheartedly and full-throatedly support the quote-unquote forgiveness of student loans. Now, there are two funny things about that right from the get-go. These people are using arguments from a worldview that they think isn't based in facts or reality. So I always find that interesting when people that don't believe in anything in the Bible use the Bible as the basis of their argument. So that's the first funny thing. Second funny thing is if we make theological arguments, you know, if conservatives, if Christians, if people like me make theological arguments to support our policy subscriptions, they brand us as Christian nationalists. <laughs> like, haven't you noticed that? They're like, oh, well, you're, you're using scripture, you know, as you support the Dobbs decision or something like that. You're obviously a Christian nationalist, right? You know, Kristen Cobez Dumais is going to write Jesus and John Wayne part two, and that's going to be the basis for everything that she writes, right? And Samuel Say actually pointed this out on, on his blog last week. Uh, what this really gets into, because there's a big point, but I'll make it after this, because I liked what Samuel said in his blog. In James 2, we see where the sin of partiality is talked about, okay? And I think I, I actually used that last week when we were talking about race and we're talking about splitting people up and different things like that. It's the sin of partiality that becomes a major, major issue. But in this thing that we're, we're, we're looking at in this story, there's partiality being shown to people making less than $125,000 per year. Because if you make over that, it's not going to benefit you. So we're being partial to a particular group. And we can't define why 125,000 is the number. It just seems like a nice round number. We're also showing partiality to people who were not responsible enough to pay off their debts. Again, as we talked about, the people that busted their tails paying off their debts or not getting into debt in the first place, we're being partial to the other people. The people that just like, eh, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Like the, the people that just went and partied or maybe even some well-meaning people. I'm, I'm kind of using a lot of pejoratives here, but it's like maybe there were some well-meaning people out there that were just like, yeah, you know, we'll deal with the debt later. I'm, I'm just going to try to get my education now. So maybe that was it. But there's also partiality towards people with student loan debt as opposed to other debts. Like, why are we canceling out the debt of people that have student loan debt, but not mortgage debt or credit card debt? Or, you know, debt because they had to go into debt to, to pay off their grandpa's funeral. Or like, there's so many other types of debt, business debt. Like, why are we showing partiality? Okay. But here's how student loan debt 
and our sin debt are the same. Okay, so this is this is the crux of the issue. Here's how student loan debt and our sin debt are the same. The debts are not being forgiven. The debts are being transferred to someone else to pay. I'll say that again. The debts are not being forgiven. The debts are being transferred to someone else to pay. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. And Ali Beth Stuckey over at The Blaze, she said something similar to this uh, on her Instagram last week. So I'll, I'll use some of her thoughts here. With our sin debt, okay, the debt we have from sinning, okay, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, who is God in human earthly form, chose to voluntarily sacrifice himself as a propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is simply, you know, the appeasement of the wrath of God, you know, a payment in full of the penalty of sin, if you will. Also, Jesus voluntarily chose to pay a debt that we could not pay ourselves. Okay? That is the beauty of a gospel that isn't works-based. He chose to pay off a debt that we had no capability of paying off ourselves. But with student loan forgiveness, the burden of the debt is being transferred from the party that took out the debt to a different party, the American taxpayer, that did not take out the debt. Further, that transfer is being done without the consent of the American taxpayer. And if some of those American taxpayers refuse to pay, they will have their freedoms removed from them. They could be arrested. They could be fined. They could be taken to jail. Oh, and, and the parties that took out the debt in the first place are 100% capable of paying them back. Guys, I said all that very, very slowly so that one, you could get it because I know I talk fast and everyone's like, oh, you, you know, lay off the, you know, the caffeination or whatever, even though I don't drink any soda or coffee or anything like that. But I, I think you should even go back and just go back to where I was talking about, you know, the debts are not being forgiven. The debts are being transferred to someone else to pay because that is so unbelievably important. People that are making this, that are attaching student loan debt and the sin debts, like these things make no sense whatsoever. Okay. So my final thought on this is to the question of should Christians support the student loan forgiveness plan? No. No. This is not right. This is an unrighteous thing that is happening because they are transferring this debt to people that are not choosing to take on this debt, that didn't choose to take on the debt from the beginning. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, it's just not fair, blah, blah. But in a lot of ways, it is simply not fair. It's not fair to do this. This is not a right, moral, and righteous thing to do. Now, if you benefit from this personally because some of your student loan debt is going to be you know, taken away, I'm not saying that you have sin that you need to be absolved of, right? Like if it, if it works out to your benefit, okay, fine. Maybe think about what you could be doing with that $10,000 that you're now not going to have to pay towards, you know, your tuition and fees and books that, you know, you know, you had and used years ago or something like that. But again, Christians do not need to come out in full-throated support of this. I think you should advocate in some ways to your local politicians, to your local representatives to do what they can to stop something like this. Because again, this is not a one-time thing. So if you're worried about the government spending money, printing money, going into debt, all these different things, just know that again, it's going to cost somewhere 
potentially close to a trillion dollars this time. What about the next time? What about when they want to take out 10,000 more dollars or when they want to wipe things out completely? This is not a good thing for our country. And no, Christians should not support it. So guys, I'm looking at the clock. We're already over 50 minutes, so I don't want to give short shrift to these quick hitters. So I'm going to go ahead and skip to the end here and do our normal outro. And then, you know, maybe tomorrow or something, I'll see what I can do to hit those other stories because I know you guys want me to hit that as well. But before I let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So I've got a link in here so you guys can go to the Origin website. If you're buying, you know, keys, jeans, boots, protein, energy drinks, supplements, whatever, make sure you use the promo code Kyle at checkout to get 10% off. Then I've got links to our donation page. I've got a link to the sign up for childcare page. If you're going to come watch me speak on September the 18th at Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. And then I got the CNBC article where it talks about Biden canceling $10,000 in federal student loan debt for most borrowers. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album. Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.